Welcome to In Conversation with Kathleen. I'm Kathleen Kettles. I'm a psychotherapist and I love people and their stories. In each episode, I'll be speaking with a guest about what the word success means to them. And at the end of each interview, I'll be discussing the episode with co-creator and editor Remy. Thanks for tuning in. This week, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Victoria Melody. Victoria is a British performance artist and comedian. Hello, good to be here. (laughs) Lovely to see you. So we're just going to dive right in with the first question, really. What does the word success mean to you? Is it lifestyle related, health, financial, recognition? What is it? Well, oh, so for me, I'm really career focused and I I don't have kids out of choice. My work is my kids. I'm an artist. And so it's not like it's a job that I have to do, that I'm forced to do. It's a job that's integral to my identity and who I am. And so success for me is... I mean, I wouldn't say I was the richest person, so I'm definitely not governed by money. But I think success is getting my work out, like being really happy with my work. It doesn't have to be perfect, but being really happy and it getting out to the communities that I want to experience the work Um, and earning enough to... Um, live by on that great that's a lovely answer also like help you know like I want the work to change people in some way like even you know it doesn't have to be like in a major political way although that is nice if I can change the way people think if they're you know not necessarily thinking you know um, great things (laughs) That's that's a good thing but yeah if I can just like cause some sort of effect, then I think that's uh, successful for me. Great. That's a lovely answer. Really, really deep and meaningful answer, which is, is, yeah, really interesting to hear you say all that. So tell me where you are today, what your life looks like and what you're doing, because I'm sure some people are dying to hear about the artistic side. Okay, great. Yeah. So today I am um, zooming in from my boat. I've got a Dutch barge, a 130-year-old Dutch barge in Limehouse and um, so I mainly live on a boat in London and my partner lives in Brighton um, and so I, I kind of live a bit bit in Brighton a bit in in London and then I'm always touring about as well so I live out of a suitcase a lot and um for my what I do for my artwork is I um I make and I perform theatre shows about Britain's enthusiasts and I'm also a stand-up comedian and yeah and an artist. Brilliant that's great that must be so intense and busy and full-on. Yeah, all the time. Everything's exciting. Yeah. I bet you, I bet. So how did you get to this point? Oh, goodness. So my friends call me the comeback queen because, I mean, I'm 44 now and I've had like every knockback there has been. Um, But also I've been very fortunate and I 
I am resilient, but also I graft and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think we say this enough, but I'm genuinely talented. And so, (laughs) so, um, so I've got here because my work's good and I work hard and I'm very resilient. Resilience. Now, there's a word I really like. I think that's such an important point to remember, really, that if you're not resilient, how can you possibly bounce back and be successful in whatever shape or form that takes? And you're maybe too young, but I'm 10 years older than you. (laughs) So you might remember. Do you remember the weebles wobble, but they don't fall down? Those bottom heavy toys. That's what I think about resilience, that we can be going along just enjoying ourselves and then we can get whacked over by whatever's just happened. But if we have the ability to be a weebles wobble and don't fall down, Fisher Price toys, um, (laughs) they're great. It's a great thing because... Too often people think if they're hit with one difficult or tricky thing to deal with, they think that's it. You know, I've been knocked off my path. I can't do this anymore. So to hear you use that word resilience a couple of times there is a really strong message to the listeners who feel like, oh, but I've been knocked down too many times. Yeah. And I also think that the more you get knocked back, um, the less you, the less distance you fall down. I mean, when you first start getting knocked back, so you're all the way down on the floor. But I, I got knocked back for something yesterday, and I just went, "Oh, that's annoying." <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't like it didn't ruin my month. You know, like it would have done previously. So, and I guess that's because you're further on in the ladder of success as well. That you have other things in the pipeline, probably, and there's other things that will keep you buoyant and less frightened of the future without that particular thing you were knocked back on. Yeah, and and also you learn that, you know, when you start, when you first get knockbacks, you're like, oh, well, that's it. That's the end of my career. That's it now. And then you start putting less um, importance on things because you, you can't control anything. And I think as soon as you let go of that, then, you know, I mean, it's just madness to think that we can control anything in our lives. So we just have to let go of that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. So what was the biggest obstacle or obstacles for you to overcome? You know, this can be anything. It can be personal circumstances, work-related health, financial. But, you know, it's good for people who are listening to hear that it's not just been an absolute dreamy experience for you. So if there's anything you'd like to share with that, that'd be great. Okay, yeah. So. I mean, financial obstacles have probably been the biggest throughout my life. I was still living like a student in in my early 30s and my friends were all buying houses and going on holidays and things like that. And I, I couldn't afford to do those things. And so it took me longer to get a comfortable life. And I just had to make that sacrifice of like, okay, I can't go out and have really expensive meals. I have to do, you know, find another way of having fun and the things that I want. And I used to get to the stage where I'm like, wow, I just have like £100 to my name and I've got no future work. I couldn't borrow money. You know, I'd already had credit cards and things like that. So... But then just as it was about to get really desperate and that hundred I was about to spend that hundred pounds, a job would fall in my lap and that would work out for the next six months. And so that amount of um chaos is not for everyone. 
by the skin of your teeth stuff, isn't it? It can be very scary. Yeah. So when you were going through all that, what was the internal dialogue like during those tougher times? So there's just always been this like need uh, for me to create. Mm-hmm. And so I could give up and go and do a different job. I also found out that I found out in 2017 that I've got ADHD mm-hmm. and that makes so much sense. You know, I never kind of run my finances very sensibly. I used to get the sack from every single job that I ever did because I'm not good at following instructions. And that's not because I'm stubborn. I just get distracted and I don't really listen. And so it makes a lot of sense to me now why why I was so terrible at all jobs. I, I went to Australia on um, a working visa and I got the sack in three months I got the sack 14 times (laughs) (laughs) that's impressive if you were in the room with me I'd be high-fiving you for that (laughs) and and so like you know it is there is an integral need for me to create but also I'm really genuinely bad at all other jobs that's really funny (laughs) and disclosure alert um Remy and I were just talking about this before you came on in January of this year I was diagnosed with ADHD I know yay ADHD and it was I was sort of annoyed initially when I was told because I thought I'm 54 why did nobody noticed like none of my teachers both my parents were teachers you know I was like and my dad said oh we didn't have that in those days <laughs> you know but anyway you know it has been a few months of me getting my head around that but it does explain moving house 27 times wow <laughs> so yeah so you were sacked 14 times I've moved house 27 times and now I think okay got to ground myself got it and I'm working with a great girl who is a therapist specifically with people who have ADHD and we had a right laugh today actually it was my session today and she said have you been writing your list have you been taking things like yes yes no no lots of yeses and no's and mostly no's because I'm trying to undo habits of a lifetime you know so but did you feel frustrated when you were diagnosed did you feel kind of annoyed or how did it how did you feel initially so I had a mix of emotions I felt I felt relieved that finally there's a reason for why I'm like this. There's a name for it. And now I understand what's what, you know, is different about me. And so I can manage it. And so that was that was great. Um, the, the sadness came from mourning, you know, me whilst I was young, you know, because I really struggled through the school system and I and I was really failed by the schools, really. And I was horrendously bullied. And my whole kind of, until I got to university, my younger life had been quite traumatic. And so I think, oh, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it have been great if I would have known because I, I would have been more accepting. But actually, because of the time, you know, when it was back then, like, if we, if I was born today and I found out I was ADHD, it, and it would be a great thing to know as a child. 
But I think if we would have known back then, we would have been taken out of class, you know, put in some sort of awful room or something, probably. You know, they didn't have an understanding for what it is. And so I think we would have been treated very badly. And I wonder whether it actually would have hindered my career because I went to university and um, and I got a bursary to do a master's and there wasn't something to kind of stop my success in a way. Um, and I think it would have done historically where I don't think it would today. So a big mixture of feelings. Yeah. And it has absolutely changed my life knowing because I need to sleep and if I don't sleep eight hours a night, if I don't sleep very well, then my brain is so slow the next day, I, I'm useless and um, forget really forgetful and clumsy. And, and so I have to prioritise sleep. And um, I know I need to eat well. And I know there's all these things I have to do now to be to have a healthy brain. And since I've been doing that I'd say I've really progressed that's great that's so good to hear I love hearing you talk about this it's it's fascinating and it's more and more women are now being diagnosed later on in life and I wonder though if you would have been as creative and as successful had you not had ADHD actually Oh, I mean, that's a hard thing to answer isn't it but I, I mean I worked with a neuroscientist for my last show and um I made a show called Headset which is a, it's about stand-up comedy about the world of amateur stand-up comedy I'm a bit like an anthropologist where I embed myself into communities for a really long time and for the last show it was stand-up and we and I also got diagnosed of ADHD when I started embedding myself into the world of um amateur stand-up comedy and so we started looking at what happens to the brain when you tell jokes and and so many comedians are getting diagnosed now I'm actually really glad that I um made my show when I did because I think every show from now on is going to be about ADHD (laughs) discovering if they're creative that they've got ADHD but if if you've yes if you've got ADHD you've got a lack of dopamine if you tell a joke it releases dopamine and so it's like we're risk-taking thrill seekers and so that's why you know we're okay living in this kind of chaotic lifestyle it's suited to our brain um yeah I you know I've got two sisters and neither of them would choose to live the way that I do they don't know how I walk onto a stage not necessarily knowing what I'm going to say that night if I'm doing a stand-up comedy gig or you know, they don't understand the level of risk, you know, I I create around myself. So yeah. when you finished a show like that and you're full of that kind of adrenaline and dopamine, how easy is it for you then to wind down and get your eight hours sleep? Yes. So I, I've learned now because um, I do it so much now. Um, like going out gigging and things when to begin with it was very difficult and also I'd have a coffee before I went on stage because I'd get tired in the evening my biggest issue is exhaustion and um, and so I'd have a coffee to perk myself up do the show and then of course I can't um, sleep properly so I've I've given up caffeine um, which is been so difficult to, I don't know if you've ever 
tried to give up caffeine. Ozzy Osbourne, who's been on every drug there is, said that he's managed to kick them all apart from caffeine because it's so addictive. And so I've I've got rid of the caffeine now. So I just go onto stage, you know, as I am (laughs) without the extra perk. And then it does take me a couple of hours to wind down. But in London, it takes you an hour to get home. And then I'll I'll come in. And then what I do sometimes is um, set myself a job. Like I will have take before I've gone out. I've taken the sheets off my bed, so that when I come in, I have to change my bed. And well so done. these kind of little routines. Yeah. That's a really sensible oh, yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's really sensible. It's great though because you you've done so much. Having ADHD, you've achieved so much. And now looking back on the later in life diagnosis, you can piece together some of the pieces that were sad, you know, going through school without the support. But like you say, what was the support like back then? I'm not sure. But um you've carved a way through to a very successful life with ADHD right there by your side in you with you all the time and that's the way I think about when I'm speaking to people who have ADHD and thinking of my own journey that it was tangential a lot of the time and some of it wasn't my sharpest moves like for definitely my my children would definitely uh, share that with you but ultimately I wouldn't definitely not have achieved as much as I've achieved without it. So I really hear you. It's very interesting to hear you talk talk about that. So did you always know, or was there any self-doubt, or did you always know that you would find, you would carve a way through to what you felt was a successful career in life? It's, that's an interesting question. I, I knew at a very early age, like some really big things, like I knew when I was six years old that eating meat was a wrong thing to do so I chose to become a vegetarian and back then in the 80s there weren't any vegetarians it was it was me and Linda McCartney (laughs) 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 but also I knew like I I knew it sounds strange but I knew very early my political views and that you know that I wanted a country that accepted other people and I, I I kind of just knew that I was very I didn't know what the words were but I knew but I was basically left-wing yeah. and I knew that I didn't want kids and I knew that I wanted to be I wanted to perform and do and do art um so I just knew all those things right off you know so and that's kind of where I've carried on going my whole life and I know not everyone has that I've got I've still got friends now who are in their 40s and they hate their jobs and it's quite ironic actually because the people who bought the houses and went on nice holidays and had the expensive meals are now the ones who hate their careers and are going to see coaches to try and find out what it is they truly want to do and so I feel very fortunate to have always known and I wonder whether that's an that's part of my neurology and if it's something that runs through a lot of people with ADHD if they are kind of set on on what they want to do and where they want to go I don't know that's you know it's interesting that you know because even at my financially poorest times I had that very clear 
idea that it wasn't always going to be like this. I was I was going to be okay. And a, a thing where I always talk with my eldest two kids is about the time when I was a single parent with a four-year-old and a five-year-old and I didn't have any money. The electricity meter had run out and I'd pressed the emergency button. It had run out. So sometimes for several days at a time, we would play Let's Be Victorians. And the Victorians slept in mummy's bed. And so we'd all sleep in one bed, stay warm. We'd, we'd cook our food on the open fire. And, <laughs> and, and you know, they, they'd refer to it as the happiest memories because they were yeah. thinking this is great fun. But I, even though that for some people would be like, oh, really bad. And it wasn't great, let me tell you that. But I always knew it would get better and much better. And I knew one day life would be great. And I have to say, it really is. And thank goodness for that sort of clarity of mind. Because perhaps if I'd not believed that, I might have hit a really dark place. Yes, you have to know that you're working towards something, that there is some change that's going to happen. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, if you just thought, oh, no, I'm going to be living in this house with this open fire and no electricity for the rest of my life then that's just (laughs) (laughs) what is the point of this yeah Yeah. it was really it was a bad time but it was also the happiest of times and we all have great memories of that spell but yeah so if you witnessed uh, your young self struggling either struggling in school or struggling financially looking back at where you were and you recognise that in somebody else, what words of encouragement, what would you say to them? How would you pull them out of that kind of worried space? I think I would say to them to, to authentically be yourself because I masked a lot. And because I was masking, I did things that I regret. And, um, you know, for instance, I hung around with a group of girls who were really hard and would have fights and things like that. And so I would copy them and be like, oh, yeah, you know, and, you know, smoking and stealing and just and it wasn't who I am at all. And I'm really ashamed of that. And that's just one group of people like I my whole kind of young life, I was always copying different groups of people like I I was a goth at one point I was a raver I was just I know everyone goes through these different identities as they grow up but I mean I was going through them so fast I was I got one of my names was uh nicknames was sports goth because I'd just been a goth and then I was like now I'm into wearing sports clothes (laughs) like so I think just it doesn't matter what the people around you are doing, just be, yeah, who you are. Yeah, that's great. And you know, when you, I hope you let yourself off the hook for that because that was just part of your journey, wasn't it? Finding who you were and finding which group you did belong to because it, it all felt kind of alien. And like, I've, I've, I am weird. Like, I'm always the, you know, pretty much the weirdest person in the room. And so I used to try and pretend that I wasn't weird and, try and speak like people and to be honest not even that long ago I was probably doing it you know right up to you know when I got diagnosed I always thought I sounded stupid and and so I'd be in a room full of academics and so I'd try and sound like them but then I'd end up sounding even stupider because I didn't really know what I was speaking about and um, it's fine to be the oddest person in the room. Absolutely. That's really wonderful. I love hearing you talk about that. It'll be interesting to get feedback from listeners when this goes out because I think you've said so much that's going to help 
many people who feel they're in this strange headspace. They don't know who they are yet. Maybe they have ADHD. Maybe they're just struggling with other neurodiverse stuff or emotional stuff. But that has been brilliant. I loved it. I've loved talking to you. It's been so good. Oh, On the show notes, Remy will put the show notes together when this goes out. Um, would you like to tell us where people can find you, either social media, website and what you're up to and when they can come and see you? Yeah, so my show headset, which is the ADHD one, it's not just about ADHD. I wear a headset that reads um, the electrical activity in your brain and then you can see how I'm feeling emotionally on stage. And so it's the show's about ADHD, neuroscience, stand-up comedy. It's very funny. Um, it, did, it just did very well in Edinburgh, so I'm quite happy. And that's touring not till next year, not till, not till October, no. November, December 2023. And then for all my other projects, the best thing is to join my newsletter. I send out a newsletter every month um, with all the best art and stuff to go and see. Um, um, so you can find that on my website, which is info at victoriamelody.com. Um, and then, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, just Victoria Melody. Great. Thank you so much, Victoria. That's just been brilliant. I've I've really enjoyed that. It was it was a mixture of all sorts. Yeah. Good times, sad times, fun times. You know? So that was really, really good. So that was great. I loved speaking to Victoria. What a diverse and interesting life she's had. Yeah, definitely. And it, what I really loved about that as well was that, well, first of all, that she acknowledged that she's talented, which obviously yeah, she is, because she's very successful. Um, and also that she's, you know, that journey of having a diagnosis and then things kind of making more sense and almost like using the knowledge that she has now to adapt like the behaviors that she has. So she's like, I need to get eight hours sleep. I need to do this and this. And it sounds like self-care has become a bit more yeah, a lot more important and doable for her now. She un- understands what she needs to do. Yeah, really good. And to to have made that show, the headset show, you know, which is not all about ADHD, but about the neuroscience behind what happens when she's on stage. Really fascinating. And I was interested too, I, f- I never mentioned it because I didn't want to interrupt the flow, but when she talked about coffee, drinking coffee to give her that stimulation, whereas for me, coffee and tea make me go to sleep, make me very chilled so it has a it can't not with everybody but it can have that stimulant of caffeine can have the reverse effect yeah that's a really good point as well because some you have to kind of get to know yourself don't you and it sounds like she's really done good work with that and it is different for everyone so and hearing her talk about trying to fit in trying to find where she belonged so getting with the wrong group of girls and then you know being in a room full of academics and trying to sound like she was like them and I, I think a lot of people can feel on the periphery, um, whether they have ADHD or a neuro, neurodiverse. I, I feel like, yeah, I've been called weirdo. I've been called loads of names like that about my behaviours and stuff, you know. Oh, you're such a weirdo. You're so strange. You're so weird. And it sometimes hurts, but then other times I think, yeah, but I don't want to be mainstream, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I couldn't be even if I tried, I think. But I have done that trying to conform thing and it doesn't work doesn't fit for me I feel like hearing her explain that was a really she put it really well like recognizing the need for authenticity and authenticity is a word that is overused now but if you can be just the one version of yourself with all people it's an extraordinary and energizing place to be 
because it can be exhausting trying to fit in with this group or fit in with this person or adapt myself for behaving differently among this group. You either want to be around that person or you don't. You shouldn't need them to adapt uh, to accommodate who you want them to be. I think it's got something to do with self-esteem though as well, hasn't it? When you've got good self-esteem, you can go into a room and just be yourself. I think sometimes it's hard to do, but it's great to hear that she can, yeah, that she can just walk on stage and she acknowledges that, you know, there's a certain amount of energy and chaos and risk that is involved with that and a bit of adrenaline and dopamine. And yeah, it's really interesting to chat to her about the sort of scientific side of it as well. And I want to just touch on what you said. I loved when she said, I'm talented. We don't often say that about ourselves, but I'm talented. I mean, I just love that. Why don't we say that more about what we're good at? You know, I'm as guilty as the next person about not saying I'm great at this, I'm good at that. You know, it's that discomfort of don't be a show off. So Mm -hmm. I hope other people have gained some interesting insights into what success can mean. Thanks for listening to In Conversation with Kathleen. I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy making these episodes. In the hope that someone else benefits from listening to the show, please like, subscribe and share. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks for listening.